Week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. It's been nearly two millennia since Matthew's gospel was written. That's roughly 80 generations. Every 25 years, for the last 2,000 years, every generation has been warned about the end. But the end has not yet come. So what does Jesus mean when he says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 32 to 34. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 377 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We've all had to sit through classes at the university where some genius tries to prove the invalidity of the Bible by explaining that because St. Paul was saying Jesus was just around the corner, the Bible must not be true since Jesus isn't just around the corner. I guess that's one possibility. Or you can study Hebrew and study Greek and read the whole story and realize that there's a mechanism at work when we talk about the immediacy of preaching and the immediacy of the coming judgment that is always coming and is always just around the corner. This is the way that you teach the people to be prepared. You don't know when it's going to happen. If you teach a class and you say there are going to be pop quizzes during the course of this class, people are going to be ready every day. You can even say, okay, today is the day for a pop quiz and then not have the pop quiz and the people will be more prepared. That's just how it goes. And you might not give a pop quiz the entire semester. But the fact that the people know, the students know or the listeners know that a pop quiz could come at any time they're going to know their stuff. That's what pop quizzes are for, is so that people are ready every single day. I had a class one time, and I told the class, you need to read the readings before you come to class. And it was a big lecture class of 70 to 100 people. I don't even remember. I said, you need to read it. Now, okay, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, you have to read the reading. Every professor says that. So I said, to a student. So on page 100, there's this question, what was your impression of this? And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I, 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 didn't, I didn't read the reading. And I said, oh, well, how are you supposed to participate in the discussion if you haven't read the reading? That's how soft I was. That's how gentle I was. But it scared the class. And I'll tell you what, no one in the class came to class without having read the reading. There was no punishment. There was only a question. 
How are you going to participate? But there is a looming threat as well. The way that we teach, we prepare the people through letting them know that there is some kind of judgment at hand. Preparing is the theme. We're going to talk about the judgment being near, but the question is whether or not you are prepared. And anyone who grew up in the Eastern Church hearing the Apolitikion of Palm Sunday will recognize this mechanism, Evlogimenos o Erchomenos. Father Paul recently referred to this on the Tuesday program. Jesus is the Erchomenos, the one who is coming. He is always coming. He is always just around the corner like the mom at the end of the cat in the hat. The mechanism is that she's just about to come home, but she's not home yet. That's how you have to hear the immediacy of the end time. Remember that in Matthew chapter 24, we're talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is still standing, people. The destruction is in your mind. It's not a literal destruction. That's why fundamentalism is so problematic. That's why any ismos, any ism is idiotic. Please understand, this is literature. How can you prepare yourself to be ready at that drop of a hat? You have to rid yourself of all the connections to the vanity of this world and be ready to follow the way of the cross, so to speak, this way where you give up your own life through trust in the Father, not to try to keep your affairs in order, not to make sure that your theological or social or political opinions are all correct, and that you can knock down any other opinion that seems to get in your way. That's not preparation. That's not preparation in any way. If you're doing that, you are wasting time. And if you're wasting time, you're going to be in trouble when the tribulation comes. The only way you prepare is you say, stupidity is stupid. I'm going to be ready to go when the Lord calls. I am the slave of the Lord, and when he calls, I will come. And when the call comes, it will be absolutely clear. Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Remember that in the example from Mark's gospel, which we mentioned earlier in our discussion of Matthew 24, when you look at the tree, you know that it's too late. Here Matthew is saying there's still time, but you know that your time is running out. It's the same example of a fruit-bearing tree, but the issue isn't fruit, the issue is time. So he's saying, you see this tree in this condition, and it means you are running out of time. And this fits the pattern of Matthew 24, which is the pressure of the impending judgment. This is Jesus saying to a group of people who are around fig trees all the time, the Christ is going to come like lightning. You guys know what lightning looks like. The signs are going to show that something is coming. You know how to read signs. You can tell what season of the year it is just by looking at the state of the leaves of the fig tree. You guys are not stupid. 
You just have to have your mind thinking about the correct signs. Don't forget, the crowds keep getting confused by signs because they think they mean one thing and they completely confuse what they actually mean, right? They see the signs, but then they marvel rather than go and study more, go understand more. They can read signs, so they have to look for them and know what they're pointing at. Here's a great way to understand the difference here between Mark and Matthew. In the Gospel of Mark, the parish council wants to meet to decide whether to give money to the charity, and they call Jesus to ask him what to do, and he says, what are you talking about? I already emptied the account for the charity. There's nothing to talk about. I've moved on to the next town. In Matthew, the parish council is meeting, and Jesus is walking away saying, you keep talking, I'm going to the bank, but pretty soon there won't be money to talk about. That's what's going on. In both cases, though, there's pressure. In the case of Mark, the message is, get moving. In the case of Matthew, the message is, get ready. You have to get ready. And the preparation comes, obviously, in the hearing of Scripture and the doing of its wisdom. So you, too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. I'm going to bring up the cat and the hat for the rest of my life. <laughs> because it's literally the example. Why do the characters in the story put everything back in order? Because once mom comes home, there will be a reckoning. I love the example because it's clear and because the authority figure in the story is a woman, so we can dispense with all of these crises about gender. It's a function. It's called the archi. It doesn't matter. We're not talking about gender. Just please, let's move past the neuroses of 2021. The mom in the story is the authority figure, and if she enters the house and it is a mess, there will be a price to pay. That is what Matthew is presenting to you. He is presenting to you the threat of mom coming home from work so that you would get your house in order. The objective is to get the house in order. Let me say it again. The objective is to get everything together so that you can do what is asked of you by the wisdom you are supposed to be submitting to in study and practice. That is the subject of Matthew chapter 24. But in order for that to be the subject, we have to first destroy Jerusalem in your mind. Otherwise, you'll be talking about some other subject that pertains to something else. It all goes back to your reference. Now that Jerusalem has hopefully been destroyed in your mind, you pertain not to Jerusalem or to Rome. You pertain to the Father of Jesus, who will send his Son in judgment. And you're concerned about when his son comes home. 
to deliver the judgment and you are concerned with making sure you are preparing yourself to fulfill his requirements and meet his expectations. So if we think the terror of the children and the cat in the hat, they made a big mess of the house. Not them, the cat in the hat and, and thing one and thing two. They're making a mess. The children don't know what to do and they're feeling stuck. But the cat in the hat, as big of a mess as he makes, knows that judgment is coming. And he's prepared. He has a machine that can clean up the entire house. Out of mercy, he cleans the house for the children. When they hear the sound of the car, this is how they know that judgment is nigh. That's why the kids are so terrified. But the cat in the hat is wise. The cat in the hat knows what happens when the judgment comes and is prepared. He has precisely the machine needed to clean up the house before that foot comes in the door. Now we know that the Lord judges with his outstretched arm, not his outstretched foot, but in the cat in the hat, it's the outstretched foot of the mother that comes to judge. But this is the same mechanism. You know that judgment is coming. You hear that car in the driveway. What are you going to do? You can either not make a mess of the house, or you can have a machine that's going to clean up the mess after you made the mess. But what are you going to do when that sign is at the door? And we're not allowed to look away. This is where social media is the Antichrist. Because it pretends to teach us when it teaches us every time about the wrong thing. It takes every item of wisdom and makes it a political issue. It takes every issue of unity and divides communities by it. Every time it makes your opinion God. And as a result, we take our eye off of the one who says we need to sit down at the table with our enemies. For heaven's sake, we stop sitting down at the table with our family and friends, let alone our enemies. Because we want to hear our opinions when this teaching is saying you need to be quiet and listen and prepare to leave it all behind. You don't have time to speak if you're hearing the Gospel of Matthew. This is what amazes me about the preoccupation with people's opinions in an ecclesial context. Opinions about what? I've been studying Scripture for 30 years. What do you want me to talk about? There is work to do. The Lord is coming, and there aren't enough hours in the day to digest his teaching. And you want to tell me what you think about what? I truly don't get it. And you want me to talk about what? I don't get it. You go to a class to study calculus. You don't raise your hand to explain what you think about World War II. Teacher's going to chop your head off. I know, because I tried in high school. <laughs> you stick to the subject matter. There's no time. This sense of urgency is critical. That's the thing about social media, Richard. It's a big waste of time. You have people who don't know anything about anything talking about everything. I don't care what people think about vaccines. 
I'm interested in what the lead scientist or the lead expert at the Mayo Clinic has to say about vaccines. Doesn't mean the Mayo Clinic is always right, but the mistake of the lead expert at the Mayo Clinic is better than the best guess of the most savvy so-called influencer on Facebook. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. These things have taken place and are taking place in the story. These things are at hand when the story is read to you. Let the Mu'adhan beware, Matthew says. Let the one who proclaims this aloud also be warned by these words. Why should the person reading it be warned if it's not going to happen to them? Because it's happening. But the happening is not about buildings getting blown up. It's not about skies actually becoming dark. It's not about a literal depiction of what the judgment will be. It's about the empirical fact that you are being judged by these words which are being announced to you. That is why there are so many beautiful stories in the tradition of someone walking into a church, hearing the gospel proclaim that you have to sell everything and give everything away to the poor and come follow the Lord, and then someone does it. Why are these stories so prevalent? Because there's an understanding in the tradition that when you enter the church to hear the reading, you are judged, and then you have a decision to make. Do I submit to this judgment and find life, or do I reject it and die? And the one who submits to it and gives everything away finds life. Before the end of this class, there will be a pop quiz. But last semester you said that, and there wasn't a pop quiz. Before the end of this class... There will be a pop quiz. But there's never, you've actually never given a pop quiz ever. Before the end of this class, there will be a pop quiz. Your mother is on her way home. She's driving in our car right now. And the house is a mess. And everyone remaining in the house when that footsteps in the door will be destroyed. <laughs> there will be a reckoning for all those here. This removes the wiggle room. This generation will not pass till all these things be fulfilled. But there's been 40 generations that have passed and these things weren't fulfilled and they were listening to this too. This generation, this generation, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. You have a duty to be prepared. And God is merciful. He has a very noisy car. You can hear it rattling and banging as it comes down the street from two blocks away, giving you even extra time to tidy up the house. But when you hear the rumbling clatter of that car, don't ignore it. Don't say you didn't know what it meant. Don't say you didn't know it was his car. Be prepared. In your mind, he's standing, like you said, Father, at the door even when you just hear the clattering of the car. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is a multifaceted statement. On the one hand, 
It's the anti-postmodernist statement. These words were written before you, and they said what they say before you, and they will be written after you, and they will say what they say after you are gone. They say what they say, and they stand for every generation. They say what they say, and each generation will not pass away until these words come to fruition. And these words will not pass away. And even after heaven and earth are gone, these words will not pass away because they're correct and they're true. And if something is correct and true, it will never pass away. Just because you don't have a copy of the Bible doesn't mean it doesn't still apply. This is what Paul explains in Romans. Just because the Gentiles don't have a copy of the Bible doesn't mean the Bible isn't still correct and applicable. In fact, if they act correctly according to the Bible without it, shame on you who didn't share the Bible with them in the first place. They make you look bad because you have the Bible and you act worse than them. The reason we struggle with this is because in our current historical moment, we've gone beyond relativism to stupidity and absurdity. In the obfuscation of common sense and empirical reality. Anything goes. It's whatever I want as an individual to be true must be true. No, there are things that are correct and there are things that are not correct. There are things that can be validated empirically and there are things that can't be validated empirically. We have to get back to basics. Your personal view of the result of a laboratory experiment is immaterial. Just ask my sister. She does experiments all the time. And then she has to deal with marketing people who don't like the result of the experiment and want to spin it a different way. You can't spin the result of an experiment. It is what it is. You can't spin the gospel. It says what it says, and it applies. These words that Jesus is stating are more permanent than the heavens and the earth themselves. These words are that leaf coming from the tender branch. These are the words that are always going to be there. These words are always going to stay. These words have weight. These words have permanence. This is what you need in order to see what is about to happen. The Lord warned Ezekiel that the watchman has one job. When the watchman sees the approaching army, he must warn the people. If he warns the people and they defend the city, the city will be saved and the people will be saved. If he warns the people and the people don't listen to him and they don't protect the city, the city will be destroyed but it's not the watchman's fault. But if the watchman sees and doesn't say anything and the city is destroyed, the blood of the people is on the watchman's hands. Jesus's job is to make sure that this word is delivered. Conveying this message is 
part of this message. We learned in Mark, it's always about planting that seed. If you get the seed, you plant the seed so that it can bear fruit. When we learn from the parable of the talents, the worst thing you can do is take your talents and bury them. You have to go and trade them. You have to go and make use of them so that they can grow, but you're not allowed to sit on it. The greatest sin of the watchman is to get this word and sit on it. Now, please, for the love of God and all that is holy, do not go onto Facebook to go and spread the seed of the gospel. God forbid. Talk to people. Sit down and break bread with people in a safe way where no one is going to get sick. Help those who are in need and be ready to set aside all the things that are in your house, that are in your field, that are at work, so that at a drop of a hat, you're ready to flee Jerusalem, go to the hills, to depend completely on God, completely on his mercy, that maybe he'll spare a few even after he destroys the city. Don't discuss the gospel on Facebook. It's funny you mention that, Rich. Early in my ministry, I made the mistake sometimes of engaging with people and Often I was scandalized by how people in even the local church would speak to a priest on Facebook in ways that they would potentially never speak to you in person. And I realized that social media strips us of all of the safeguards that have evolved in human community over time that save us from ourselves. There's a way to interact that helps keep us safe, that protects our relationships and protects our social connection. Social media destroys all of it. If you want to talk, let's get together for a cup of coffee. Or during the pandemic, maybe it's a Zoom. But there's really no point in debating online. It doesn't go anywhere. I don't want to have point-counterpoint in a chat thread. It's not constructive. If you're spending time trying to figure out what the online presence of your church should be, <laughs> you already, you're already wrong, because that's time wasted that should be spent in Bible study. You think I'm kidding. I'm quite serious. Don't lose time. And you will never appreciate or understand this point that Matthew is making about not losing time before the judgment until you actually put the effort into Bible study and begin to understand how much you don't understand, how much is there, and how much work there is to do, and how valuable the work is, and how precious and how valuable the Lord's daily bread for our life is. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.